0: one of the secrets of life is to live day by day uh, with the big picture in mind. If we are not careful we will live day by day for the moment and um, Kind of get caught up in the daily routine and forget really what the big picture is and what life is all about. Uh, it is easy for us to um, have our hearts drift from God. I, I was thinking this week about what I have to share with you and the old hymn come thy fount of every blessing came to my mind and there's a one of those latter verses three or four it has that phrase it says prone to wander lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love uh, at the first of that verse actually uh, it says "O oh, to grace how great a debtor Daily, I'm constrained to be. Let that that goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to Thee. And then it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for Thy courts above. It is easy to make decisions, small decisions, many times in the midst of a daily routine that then project out really into eternity Um, and so I think one of the secrets to life is making sure on a daily basis as the hymn says that our hearts are bound like a fetter to him because our hearts are prone to wander. Um, The big picture that we've been looking at in 2019 uh, from God's story is that in the midst of the brokenness of this world due to the sin of us that God chose a man, one man, Abraham, and said that through his family all the families of the earth would be blessed that family grew and eventually in the midst of famine went to egypt 430 years later after they had grown to over 2 million people and they had fallen into slavery that god redeems them his human instrument was a man by the name of moses And he brings them back to the land that God had promised Abraham, the promised land. And he gave them that land and he raised up people to help them stay on track, which they didn't, but uh, the judges. And then there was a judge slash prophet slash kingmaker by the name of Samuel. Samuel whom God uses and then there were three kings there was Saul the king that was chosen according to man's standards and he failed and then there was David the greatest of the kings who was chosen as God's standard of what it means to be the the under shepherd to God's people a man after God's own heart his son is then Solomon whom we've looked at for a couple of weeks that we looked at the temple that he built Byron last week looked at his wisdom one of the other uh, characteristics of Solomon was his peace uh, and also his wealth that allowed him to do what God called him to do. When we come to the end of Samuel, we come to the year 931. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But there is something that happens in the midst of the story here that's very significant and the kingdom that God has established, that coalition of the 12 tribes of Israel divides. From Solomon on, we talk about the divided kingdom. If you're looking at a timeline, can we put the timeline on the screen? It's Peyton. Uh, Solomon begins to reign in 971, and he dies in 931, and there is a split in the kingdom. And from 931 to 722, there's really a divided kingdom. And I want you to kind of see the big picture here we're going to talk about the 9th century today BC and I'm going to talk about two people even though there's a lot of leaders I want to talk about the prophets of that time which are Elijah primarily and then uh, his successor Elisha next Sunday Byron's going to cover the 8th century prophets and he's going to look at Isaiah or part of Isaiah when I come back from Africa I'll cover the second half uh, of Isaiah Uh, But this is kind of the time frame uh, that we're looking at. This morning I want to cover the ninth century and what God did in the midst of that divided kingdom. If we were to look at a map, uh, if we can look at that map, when Solomon dies and the kingdom divides, it divides into the north and the south. The, The best illustration I can give of this in the sense would be the Civil War in America, north and south and uh, I can't think of a more, uh, a worse time in America history than the Civil War, uh, but I think it would be that sense of that, uh, that the kingdom split, and there's what is known as Israel to the north, and you can see that on that map, which are the ten northern tribes, and then really the southern tribes become known as Judah. But really it's judah and the other tribe which would be benjamin and this is the divided kingdom uh, that we talk about uh, the north and the south uh, i saw this quote on, i looked at it on the internet this week and then we're driving yesterday to go to a nephew's wedding and i see it on a billboard i think the quote that abraham lincoln in one of his famous speeches that led up to the civil war Uh, Abraham Lincoln says, and he's paraphrasing the words of Jesus, he says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And really that is prophetic in the 12 tribes life. The divided kingdom was not sustainable. You cannot stand in the midst of division. That was true for us as a nation. It was true uh, for Israel, but there is something deeper this morning that we have to see. As as I looked at this time frame in Israel's history, there is something that is even more significant than a divided kingdom, and it is a divided loyalty within. And the issue that we're going to come down to today, that we have to deal with in our own lives. Is a divided loyalty when we try to serve, as Jesus would say, two masters. I want you to see how the division occurs. Uh, In 1 Kings chapter 12, Solomon has died at the end of chapter 11, and his son Rehoboam becomes king. All right, you got to get this in your brains there's going to be Rehoboam and there's going to be Jeroboam this morning God just does these kind of things to keep us on our toes Uh, Jeroboam is going to end up becoming the ruler in the the northern tribes of Israel Rehoboam is going to be in the south I'm going to misspeak their names here in just a minute and you just I've told you what I meant and now I'll mess it up between Rehoboam and Jeroboam Rehoboam's in the south Jeroboam's in the north Rehoboam is the son of Solomon and God has said through the lineage of David, I will raise up kings. And King Solomon had selected Rehoboam to be king. It says in chapter 12, and let me read the first five verses. It says, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which, you, which he put on us and we will serve you. So he said to them depart for three days then come back to me and the people departed. And there's something very significant happening here. Rehoboam is the, the son of Solomon. The capital city is in Jerusalem. Which is in the tribe of Judah and he becomes king in Jerusalem because that's who the previous king his daddy said that's the guy I have a feeling Solomon had a lot of sons I'm just conjecturing because he had a lot of wives I don't know what that dynamic was but he's the guy who's fallen in the lineage and he is in Jerusalem there is something Significant here when it says that they called Rehoboam to come to Shechem for Israel to make him king. You go, now wait a second. What has Shechem got to do with it? What it denotes is that there was already a division that had occurred between us and them. And David, Solomon and Rehoboam (laughs) Were the powers that be that dwelt in Jerusalem and Solomon had built a lot and he had, he had taxed the rest of the tribes to a great extent and he had, he had conscript, uh, conscripted laborers. He had basically drafted men to come and work for all these great building projects that he carried on. But what happened in the midst of his 40 years is there got to be this mentality between us and them. And them people are always telling us what to do and taxing us and calling our young men to work. And all these building projects are going on. And I tell you what, Jerusalem sure looks glorious, but not so much our parts. So there was already a division that had started. And they... (laughs) The people in the north said no we we want you to come here to Shechem which is kind of our central location and we want to make you king but there's some things we need to talk about before we kind of get on board with what you're doing and we want to make sure that you're not gonna be like your daddy because we're tired of the taxes and we're ta- we're tired of the, the conscription conscription of labor mm. there were already problems there was a division between the north and south that was under the surface Jeroboam is a renegade leader that had been run out of the country but he is brought back and he represents those disgruntled people in the north and the question is posed to Rehoboam are you going to do the same thing your daddy did Notice how the story plays out in verse 12. After he's consulted with the older, one, he has consulted with his daddy's advisors, and then he's gotten the young bucks of his generation said, what do y'all think I ought to do? Here's his answer in verse 12. It says, so Jeroboam, the renegade leader, and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly, that's a pretty big word, and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastened you with whips but I will chasten you with scourges." So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word which the Lord had spoken to Ahijah the Shilonite, to Jeroboam the son of Nebad. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, The people answered the king, saying, this is significant, What share have we with David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. They were saying, we're out of here. So Israel departed to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. (laughs) Here's where it came to the event to see what's going to happen. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram who was in charge of the revenue, the tax collector. But all Israel stoned him with stones and he died. That's a pretty definitive answer right there are we going to pay your taxes? No. Therefore King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him the renegade leader, Jeroboam, king over all Israel the ten northern tribes is what it ends up being there was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only initially but eventually Benjamin joins the side of Judah because their territory is close Rehoboam the new king did not respond in the wisdom of his father The people said, This is, it's been too much. We're we're not going to keep doing this. If you remember in the story of Solomon last Sunday, when God appears to Solomon and asks, He says, I will give you whatever you ask for. What do you want? Do you remember what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom and discernment so that he could reign or lead the people, and we see his wisdom. As Byron shared last week, Proverbs, not so much wisdom in Song of Solomon, but it's a little dark in Ecclesiastes, but anyhow, mostly Proverbs. And The strange things to me is that Rehoboam was one of the sons of Solomon, and Solomon wrote Proverbs to his sons. You get this picture of the, the boys gathered around and dad saying this is this is how you are to live one of the things that is recorded that Solomon would have taught his sons in Proverbs 15 1 is that a soft answer turns back wrath and somehow I get this idea that apart from the movement and the grace of God we cannot have the wisdom that we ought to have Solomon apparently did not possess it until God gave it to him. And even though Solomon teaches his sons this, Rehoboam didn't get it. He comes to this critical point when he should have known what to do, and he responds in the exact opposite way, and it creates a division within the kingdom. And Israel is offended. And they turn away. Even though God had chosen that the ruler that was to be on the throne was to be David. And that the central location of the government and religion was to be Jerusalem. The ten northern tribes revolt. And they turn away from the kingdom. A decision is made in that moment. And notice what their response is. Well, they've already killed the tax collector, so that was a pretty significant response. But in verse 25, notice how the story unfolds for the 10 northern tribes. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim. If I could just say Shechem becomes their, in essence, capital city, a fortress. Later, Their capital will be Samaria, which is a number of miles away from there. But initially it is Shechem, in the mountains of Ephraim, and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, Then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Jeroboam goes, now wait a second, though. The central place of worship is Jerusalem, and even though politically we have revolted, all of the people are going to go back to Jerusalem to worship God. Hmm. What am I going to do about this? because he's afraid that their hearts are going to soften and they're going to turn back to be sympathetic to David and his kingdom. And the thing that strikes me about the stories I read this is that there are little steps almost within the heart of Jeroboam where he goes, now wait a second, we can't do that, therefore we've got to do this. And it's it's just little decisions that he makes to get them off the track that God had set before them. And so he says in verse 28 Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. He set up one in Bethel, which is in the southern part of the, the ten northern tribes, and the other he put in Dan, which is the far north of their region. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. God had said, no, the priests, the ones that serve before me are to be of the tribe of Levi. And he said, ah, just whoever was willing to do this, we will do it. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah and offered sacrifices on the altar. If you go back to the Mosaic law, hmm, no, there's not a feast in the eighth month. Jeroboam goes, no, I think we need something like they've got, but we're going to do it in the eighth month instead of the seventh month. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. and At Bethel, he installed the priest of the high plate of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the fifteenth day of the eighth month in the month, here's this phrase I underlined it in my Bible, which he had devised in his own heart. Not what God had ordained but no this is what I've come up with in my own mind and he ordained a feast to the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. Hmm. Little steps. Because they had been offended and they pulled out and they had already taken one step, then they began to take another step. They violated the second commandment which said you shall have no graven images of God. He instituted priests who were not of the Levites. He set up a feast that was not according to the Mosaic law. He just started steps to get away from what God had ordained. Now, here's the thing. We're going to cover a lot of historical material here in about one minute right now. (laughs) There are this whole series of kings. I wrote them on your reference sheets, which are on the ends of your aisles. Uh, there are, I, I think there's are there 20 kings. I didn't even bring a sheet. Uh, in the northern tribes, there's 19 or 20. And uh, if you've read that section of scripture, it, it covers, oh, I don't know. I better, better I think I'm supposed to put one of those in my Bible. Um, yeah, there's 20 kings of the northern 10 tribes. And there's always a summary statement of what God says about this king all 20 of the northern tribe kings it says and they did evil in the sight of the Lord not one good um, now we're gonna, we're gonna pick up we're and gonna, we're gonna hit Judah here next, next Sunday when Isaiah comes in the 8th century no it's, it's gonna get ugly right now we just we, we worried about the 10 tribes to the north um, And I put it on your sheet that there are 20 kings also of Judah. At least eight of those did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Uh, But here's what happens. From the time that they divided the kingdom, there are seven kings. So the eighth king is a man by the name of Ahab. And what I want you to get the sense was in all this time as they continued to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, they got further and further away from God until finally Ahab marries Jezebel who is an avid worshiper of a pagan god, Baal. The, The capital is now in Samaria and they just build a temple to Baal even though they consider themselves to be the people of Yahweh or God They got so far away That finally it just becomes an abomination before God That they have established a temple to a pagan god Baal in Samaria and one of the truths that I wrote on your sheet is that departure from God starts with small things and yes it took seven kings to get there but they just kept taking steps that got them further and further away from god and it really started in the days of jeroboam and rehoboam little steps that get us off track and start us down a road and we end up someplace we never intended to end up but that's what happens when you take little steps and your life turns a particular direction. In the midst of that departure from God, God sends the prophet. The king was to be God's representative of of his rule, but the kings were not doing what they needed to be. Therefore, God sends the great prophet Elijah and subsequently his successor, Elisha. And their ministry in the midst of those days in the ten northern tribes is to call them back into their covenant with God. Because it wasn't just about a divided kingdom. What God said it was about a divided loyalty. That there are other things that you have devoted your life to other than me. The great climax of that, and we actually covered this last year quite extensively, in 1 Kings 18, Elijah and Ahab come to a finally a confrontation. And it says in first Kings 18, starting in verse 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? <laughs> And he, Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at jezebel's table so ahab sent for all the children of israel and gathered the prophets together at mount carmel here it is the statement that god makes through the prophet and a light verse 21 and elijah came to all the people and said how long will you falter between two opinions if the Lord and that word there is Yahweh if Yahweh is God follow him but if Baal follow him but the people answered him not a word that's the question in the midst of their decisions they'd gotten to a place where in name they wanted to say that, oh our nation is a nation that worships Yahweh. But now they had this temple to Baal and in fact there was preferential treatment to those of Baal and persecution of those who were followers of Yahweh. They were only followers of Yahweh in name only and now with their lives they had followed after the Baals and Elijah the prophet stood as the spokesman of God and said, you have to choose. Why? Because you cannot continue with divided loyalty. A house divided against itself cannot stand. What Jesus would say later in his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other or you will serve the one and despise the other. It is not sustainable. You must decide who your God is. It is significant to me that the messenger that God sends is named Elijah. Um, Elijah is a name that means Yahweh is my God. (laughs) I'm thinking, I don't know if. I don't know who Elijah was. I don't know if he just look for a guy named Elijah and go, no, no, you it, because I love your name. And this is the message. Yahweh is my God. And that's the message I want. I want Yahweh is my God to go and tell them this message. How convicting, because you're not living as if Yahweh is my God. The, in, the other interesting thing is his predecessor, Elisha. Elisha's name means, my God saves You want to know how to get out of your bind. <laughs> the second was message was not only is Yahweh is my God, but if you want to know who's gonna get you out of your bind and who's gonna save you, my God is the God who saves. My God is salvation. Yahweh is the one who saves. And the crazy thing to me, and I wrote this on your sheet, I don't have time to cover it this morning. You can read this. God demonstrates his power in the lives and the ministries of Elijah and Elisha like no other time in history except the three-year ministry of Jesus. There are more miracles. I mean, look, it took me 30 minutes to figure out all these miracles that happened. And you know these stories. And you're going, why? Because in the midst of a nation that was deciding, "Mm, I wonder who's going to be our God. God just, man, he just keeps doing miracles. And, of course, the day of Elijah on Mount Carmel, he just sends the fire. Boom! Y'all remember me yelling that Sunday? I preached that Sunday. Boy, y'all were, y'all were kind of dozing. I was, boom! Y'all, three deacons and other people woke up right immediately, right in the midst of that. I mean, that would have been dramatic. But you can read through those miracles. It's amazing. The things that God does to demonstrate his power to prove You want to know who God is? Watch me do this. I mean, I guess both Elijah and Elisha raised somebody from the dead. Actually, I got to say this. Uh, The last one for Elisha. I'm talking about this dude so bad. (laughs) Even when he died in his grave, they threw a dead man in there. That dead man came back to life. I'm thinking, woo! man, that's some power. (laughs) You dead? You raised the dead? You dead? I, I don't even know how that works. But anyhow, you read this. St- I'm not making this stuff up. They laid his tomb in a. They laid his bones in a tomb, and they laid a man on it, and boom, the guy came back to life. Anyhow, I don't know. That's power. Why? God wanted to prove I am the one true God, and the message in the midst of all of that in a divided nation with a divided loyalty is that God calls us to exclusive loyalty to Him. God calls us to exclusive loyalty to Him. Prone to wander, how I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. The response that should have happened the day that Elijah confronted Ahab on Mount Carmel was that God's people would repent and turn back to Him in exclusive loyalty to him i don't think we suddenly wake up one day and decide you know i'm really just going to serve some other things with my life i don't know what that is there's options out there in america there's other things you can give your life for I don't think we just wake up one day and decide, well, you know really, this is, in essence, is going to be my de facto God over here, whether that's a career or a relationship or something else. My sense is that we make little decisions that start us down a road and turn our life a particular direction, and we just keep walking that direction. And quite honestly, hopefully someday, we wake up in the midst of our day to day routine in which we've kind of gotten in the fog of just living life. And we wake up and we see this 30,000 foot view that goes, wait a second, what am I doing here? How did I end up here? And let, me, let me tell you the, the only thing I thought, what? What do I tell? What do I, what do I say? This is what I would say to you. Every day, there has to be a heart check for God's people. That says, honestly, God, as I set my life before you, where am I? And in, the, in that 24 hours, if your heart is beginning to drift, if there is a commandment that God has brought forward to go, wait a second, how can I justify violating the second commandment? why have I done this or why have I done that or what is this anger in my heart or resentment or decision or, or lust or whatever it is only thing I know to tell you is what I do in my life is that every for me it's got to be in the morning that I get before God and just say God can we just have a little checkup today it's not frequent enough to have it every week you need to have it every day that you get before God and you get in his scripture because the scripture becomes those uh, those stop signs in the road of life that go wait a second that sign says you're going the wrong way you've got to turn around and when we tune our heart to know God through his word then his word exposes things in our life that identifies the drift so that we don't go day by day by day by day so that someday some month some year we end up at a place you go how did I get here so what I challenge you to do is every day you get your heart before God and you get in his word and you allow God to examine your heart and you get honest with God and I'm just telling you then you have got to deal with whatever God tells you if you do not you have started down the wrong road and you know what you may not crash and burn the first day or the first week maybe not even the first month But the principle is a house divided against itself cannot stand. You will crash and burn. Of course, the great thing, and we see it throughout the scriptures, if some night (laughs) you crash and you're in the bar ditch, God owes a tow truck. It's the only thing I can say to you. And you just got to call and say, God, I'm not sure how I got here but I don't want to be here and I I got to get back and then once he restores you and gets you back then every day have some hard time before God so there's nothing in your life that becomes a small step that takes you down a road to depart from God amen amen I'm gonna ask you to stand Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this one other practical thing, and then I'm done. I'm serious. I'm done. Uh, this summer, I'm going to challenge some of my men, and I'll challenge you too, that if you go, okay, preacher, what do I, where, do I, where do I need to be in the scripture? And I'm not telling you. Maybe you have a devotional routine, and you do that. I'm going to challenge some of my men that I meet with. I'm going to challenge you to take two psalms a day this summer and uh, so first day that you start do Psalm 1 and 2 and just read those and obviously the Psalms is written by the man who had a heart after God and say God what, is it te- what does this teach me about what it means to have a heart after you and uh, God if there's things that aren't right in my life then let's go ahead and deal with them but if you just need something practical okay what do I do I would challenge you and I challenge you this this was several weeks ago or months ago But I said, take the book of Psalms and do two Psalms a day through the rest of the summer and just allow God to speak to your heart um, because we're prone to wander. Amen. All right.